we've heard it before. We all know the common go-to phrase about business. Time is money. Money keeps companies afloat. It keeps things moving. It's how employees get paid, how products stay in stock, and how the product goes from producers to consumers. Numbers. The amount of money you're working with and where all that money goes has a lot to do with how companies get sold. But there is another factor. Numbers and hard facts play a huge role in understanding a company's wealth. However, it also helps to look at another thing to gauge a company's success in the future. And that thing is a little less heavy on numbers and more reliant on something we can't really see. Predictions. These kind of predictions are based on something brokers in the business call selling on the way up. One of the things that we discuss with all sellers when they come to us, and a lot of people come to us months in advance, sometimes years in advance of a sale, and there is nothing that we can stress that is more important than selling on the way up. We speak all over the world, and even during the uh, conversations we have when we speak, one of the points that we really rely on heavily is conveying the idea of selling on the way up. And one of the important parts of it is that if you think about it, all companies grow sometimes at uneven paces. And so a company will get out of the gate, it'll be doing great, it'll be increasing sales month over month, sometimes month over previous year's month. And as they go up, the way that it works is that eventually every company is going to level off and may even start to drop. And even if it does level off or drop, oftentimes, maybe after a few months or a year, it begins to increase its you know, ascendancy. And so what ends up happening is that when a buyer comes in, they look at a company and the health of a company is basically gauged around its growth. I'm your host, Randall Sylvie, and this is the Deal Closers podcast. On today's episode, we're talking about the importance of selling on the way up and what it looks like for buyers and sellers to assess companies' potential. Selling on the way up allows sellers to give buyers an idea of where the company is headed. Different companies have different potentials for growth. Ron from WebsiteClosers.com spells out a couple of different scenarios. So if somebody comes to us, I guess the best way I could put it is, let's take an example of three companies. All three of these companies are making a million dollars a year in profit. Okay, company number one, last year made 1.5. This year, they're going to make a million. Now, everybody is looking at that company as though what's wrong with it. And so if they make an offer on it, it's going to be based on a distressed level. So, I mean, you might get a multiple of one and a half, two, maybe two and a half. And I mean, there's a lot of different circumstances that may go into the drop that would mitigate these multiples. But at the same time, it's not going to be an attractive multiple. People are scared of it. Most of what they're going to offer is probably not going to be cash up front. It's going to be either a note or an earnout. And so when it comes to selling on the way up, we'll take number two. Number two is a company that last year made a million dollars and this year it's making a million dollars. Well, you look at that company and you think stable. And so it becomes a scenario where you have a defined value and it'll start to hit multiples that people will base on a stable company, not a growing company. Typically that might be in the range of three times. And so you look at it and say, well, it's a stable company and I'm making an offer based on that. So scenario number one, your value is between one and a half to maybe two and a half million tops. Scenario number two, your value is three million. 
But scenario number three, last year you made 650,000. This year you made a million dollars. So you're up about 50%. So based on that increase, people are going to offer more than three. And the multiple may go to maybe even four, four and a half, even sometimes five, depending on all the different scenarios and metrics of the company. And so suddenly you're talking about the third company, which made a million dollars being worth somewhere around maybe four million, four and a half million, five million. So here's three companies, all which make a million dollars. And you see the value between one and a half and five million. So you can see why we stress so heavily to sell on the way up. What does it mean for sellers to sell on the way up versus what it means for buyers to buy a company on the way up? Is there really much of a difference there? I mean, obviously, it's desirable for both sides. Yeah, you can take a look at, for example, from a seller side. Okay, now, one of the problems with this topic, and we actually have this comment is made quite frequently, but people will say, well, I don't have a crystal ball. And nobody does. I mean, whether it's a company that's, you know, a, a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange or whether it's a privately held company, your company grows at, you know, sometimes unnatural paces where it'll suddenly shoot up and then it levels off. And, you know, you, you, you try to gauge when your company is going to continue to grow. And so what you look at is some of the metrics of, for example, what do I have in the pipeline? Are some of my key products beginning to you know show less growth let's say that i'm looking at my company and i i have five new products i'm about to launch now i know those five new products are going to boost sales and it's going to continue to be on uh, you know on the way up because of the new products that i'm about to launch if i have nothing new or i'm starting to run out of ideas to launch i know that in the future i'm not necessarily going to be able to continue to grow the company. Now, what's one thing that's important to note is that as a buyer, a buyer might say, wow, he has no new ideas for new products coming out. Well, that's not unusual because people who come in to build a company, they start off with an idea on what they want. They begin to build the company. It grows nicely. It's doing well, but they're not maybe that creative. And so they built a company to a point where they don't have the ability maybe to continue to grow it. Like Ron said, there's no crystal ball. Sellers and buyers, unsurprisingly, are not clairvoyant and can't actually predict the future. But future products and ideas can give you a pretty good idea of where a company is headed. The growth of a company comes from creativity and ideas. And so a buyer comes in and a buyer immediately, and this happens all the time, a buyer will come in and he'll think, you know, he's selling the following products. Okay, he doesn't really have a pipeline for the future, but I have some ideas. And so it doesn't mean because a seller doesn't know how he's going to continue to grow the company. It doesn't mean that the state of the company is in a disarray or troubled, or maybe the future isn't so bright. It just means that person is kind of reaching his level. Now, sometimes I think inside, a seller's got to look and say, what do I see going forward? And if they see a wall, they probably know that's about the time to sell. And once again, as long as you're on the way up, your company is tremendously healthy at that point. It's going to be viewed in a very positive manner, and you're going to get a lot of excited buyers that are going to come in looking to make the acquisition and to make offers on your company. Ron breaks it down for us. Now, from a buyer side, you know, once again, you can look at it the same way. A buyer comes in and they're saying, okay, I want to know 
what the health of this company is. Let me take a look at the SKUs and see, as a matter of fact, I just provided a buyer a few minutes ago a report of the SKUs for the last year and a half, sales by SKU. So what a buyer is basically looking at in that particular scenario is what is the strength of the company based on its best sellers? And, you know, even though there's a lot of logic in looking at that, you also have to be a little bit careful with that. As an example, we had a company a couple of years ago and a buyer came in, made an offer, was doing due diligence, said he needed to set up a call with the seller to explore some of the issues that he saw in the company. It was a, a skincare company. And so he said, well, let's go over this. Last year, you had six bestsellers. Four of those bestsellers are down anywhere from 20 to as much as 70%. Okay, so why is that the scenario with your company? It's making me a little nervous. The seller, in turn, said, well, understand that my company is up 40% this year as a whole. My focus is on the new products going forward. So let's talk about those products from the past. Number one, some of them were products that I did based on Dr. Oz. So he released a product. It became well-known. Everybody wanted it. It was well in demand, but it's really not a great product. And so even though I launched it to a lot of, you know, there was a lot of excitement to that product and a lot of sales that accompanying it, the problem was it wasn't a great product to begin with. So I didn't, I wasn't able to build a user base on it. People bought it once, maybe twice, and then decided it wasn't working for them and they stopped buying it. So that's why it would be down 70%. It wasn't a great product to begin with. However, if you look at it right now, it's still a very profitable product that I'm doing well with. Is it down from last year? Yes. Has it stabilized? Yes. Will it continue to sell? Very likely, but never maybe again at the levels that it did. And so each step of the way, I mean, she looked at the other products and said, you know, if I had more of an infrastructure behind me, I would be able to focus more on each individual SKU and I would be able to keep those products maybe at or above their peak, certainly close to their peak, but I don't. And my focus is more on bringing in new products and making sure the existing products become a stable base for my company. And I think I'm making the right move because I am substantially up this year in both profits and sales compared to last year. So, you know, there's a lot of variables that go into selling on the way up. And once again, what a a seller has to do is kind of look at as though, am I running out of ideas? What do I have left in the tank? And at some point, if they just don't feel like they have it, then at that point, maybe it is time to consider selling. Okay, interesting. That kind of inspires a couple questions. First off, along those lines, and I realize it's going to be quite a bit different for every deal and every buyer and every seller, but is that kind of willingness to look beyond the numbers and hear the seller out? Are a lot of buyers open to that? Because I imagine that probably comes up fairly often to where maybe they don't look like they're on the way up in the numbers, but they have, you know, like you laid out with the skincare company, they have uh, new products they're launching that are doing well, they're up overall. Do a lot of buyers seem open to kind of looking into that? Yeah, it's a great question. And a lot of buyers don't have the ability to see a company for what it really is. They look at only from a high level, they're, they're looking from a view of, you know, what do I see that's obvious? And they're not looking at the hidden, you know, intangible items that really do make a company. And so, you know, if you think about it, just because a company in one person's eyes is not attractive doesn't mean it won't be in several other people's. And when they look at the companies, they're able to see from a standpoint of 
how you know attractive, how healthy it is. As brokers, it's important for us to create the narrative. And so we actually have to dig in. And it's the difference between, you know, when, for example, a seller chooses a broker, you really want to choose the broker that is the best in the industry because they're going to be able to see your company for what it is. All the, the problems, which all companies do have problems. And as a company, we're very focused on making sure that the problems are also recognized by the buyer up front because there's nothing worse than getting into due diligence. And you find that, you know, all these things that you thought everything was, was perfect. And then you find out later that there are problems. I'd rather those came out up front. But as a broker, we have to see the good and the bad. And we focus very much on everything that we see that makes the company, as we're rating it, say, from 1 to 100, where it rates and why. And then we're able to create that narrative with a buyer as to, for an example, you know, this particular company may seem like it's got issues with some of the SKUs, but in reality, it does not. Okay, interesting. That totally ties into the other question I had was, what are some things that a company in that situation that's looking to sell, what are some things that uh, the seller might do to help the broker or help you guys kind of create that narrative that might be more attractive to a buyer? Yeah, interesting question because so many sellers come to us and they know it's time to sell and they're afraid. And so they don't, they're not always as, you know, forthright as they should be or, you know, could be. And we as brokers need to understand that we have to draw it out of them. We have to find, you know, everything about the company and we have to discuss it with the seller and get his input because what's going to happen is you're going to have a scenario where a buyer and a seller are going to jump on a call and the buyer is going to begin to ask questions. The seller is going to answer those questions in a way that's going to be perceived as either, you know, positive, negative, or indifferent. And it's important that we up front know what a seller is going to say. And we don't ever want a seller to say anything that isn't, for one thing, truthful. It's really important that he tells the truth. My opinion, when I first became a broker, I used to see so many things. And I, I was trying to buy companies at one time myself. And I would see brokers trying to hide anything that the seller was saying that was a negative and anything that was perceived in the company as a negative. And I look at it as though, the buyers I work with are smart. I want them to be smart and I want them to see everything because those are the deals that I can get to the finish line. And so I want to know everything that the seller is going to say. And I want to make sure that, you know, sometimes it's just in how you phrase it. It's not a negative, but if you kind of have a negative outlook or the way you're presenting it is negative, it comes across to the buyer as something that becomes less attractive. You want to avoid that. Everything has to come out as the truth, but it also is in how you you know, how you phrase it and, you know, the way you uh, position yourself. I imagine most sellers, I mean, they know they're ready to sell, but kind of looking at maybe the risks of selling on the way up, I guess, how would a seller know when the right time, like say their business is doing well, it's growing. How might they know it's time to sell it? What I mean is, I guess that whole thing of not knowing where the peak is, Mm -hmm. Is there anything they, they should look out for when kind of getting the timing of that? Yeah, and it, it does depend on the size of a company. As an example, when you have a company that's making $2 million in profits or more, the type of buyer is a completely different buyer than the one under that. Typically, that's when the private equity groups come out. And a lot of those groups are looking for the seller to hold equity in the company. And so it becomes 
not quite as meaningful to a seller if he hasn't reached the peak. Because if you're going to hold rolled equity and your company continues to grow, oftentimes your second exit is going to be stronger than your first one. And so oftentimes as well, the buyer that comes in has a different skill set than the seller does. And so the seller has a skill set that is given him the ability to grow the company to the level that it's at now. And he's able to actually learn from the seller a lot of things that he never knew. And so it becomes a win-win because a buyer comes in, he helps that company to go to another level, and the seller learns everything that they're doing. And so by the time they do sell for the second time, they are able to actually, you know, they don't have to worry quite so much about selling at the peak as much as, you know, going ahead and continuing to grow their company with the the help of adult supervision. Now we're talking about selling companies, but more specifically, we're talking about tech and online companies. And selling on the way up in this sector is very common. Most of what the tech world is, is in its infancy, particularly say e-commerce. We sell a lot of e-commerce companies. Well, if you look at the facts on e-commerce, it's the reason we chose this industry to build our company around. You know, and I don't mean just e-commerce, I mean all digital companies in general. But let's let's just discuss e-commerce as one particular sector. Everything about it is young. You, you look at the way that, you know, we as a, a society have evolved. You know, I mean, 10 years ago, the shopping malls dominated. Everything was purchased via shopping mall. Very little e-commerce sales were even in existence back then. Even now, I think 14% of retail sales are e-commerce. That's really, really small. And it's never going to become 100%, but the question is, will will it become more than 14%? And the answer is absolutely 100% yes. Going forward, you look at what Amazon's doing by focusing on logistics instead of inventory. Logistics allows them to put the inventory right next to where the customer base is. And so when people place orders, you know, it used to be, could be up to a week or longer to get your products. And then suddenly Prime came along and you got it in two days. Now in many markets, it's one day. Well, pretty soon in most markets, it's going to be one day. And so essentially you've got a lot of people who are older who never got used to buying anything on the internet. And now maybe they've gotten to the point where they're able to buy travel. Well, every generation that is replacing the older generation and is coming up is more and more comfortable with buying on the internet. And so you do know that the future is bright, which is why we have so many buyers, hundreds of thousands of buyers out there that are waiting for these deals is because in general, the sector is going to continue to grow. So as we retrace back to the seller himself, I mean, sometimes a seller is limited in his ability to continue to grow a company. But once again, the sector itself is going to continue to grow. And so as long as he does a good job, he should be able to at least somewhat continue to grow his company. But keep in mind, once again, there's a big difference between, say, a 10% annual increase and a 55% annual increase. And when you're growing at a a, a rapid pace, obviously your multiple is really strong and that's where you're going to max out. So I think in the end, what you really have to do is look within and say, what do I see? What do I see? three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, and you know, understand the ideas you have going forward. Now, keep in mind too that what makes these sellers really good at what they do isn't necessarily picking product. It's ranking product. There's a big difference. And so, you know, I mean, you think about it, there's millions of products on the internet. 
And all of them, you know, are selling in some capacity or another, some tremendously, some not so, but I mean, they're all selling. And so the guys that are starting these companies have the ability to move them up in the rankings and put them at the top in the buy box. And that means that even if they sell their company, they're getting somebody who's going to come in and have ideas that they didn't because everybody's got, you know, a different mindset. They will then be able to continue to grow that company. The seller oftentimes then goes back and says, okay, you know, I started that company, I built that company, I sold that company and I created wealth and I did well with it. Now, what can I do that won't violate my non-compete and go out and do it again with another product? So sometimes I think the question isn't necessarily where the top is. It's where do you feel like it's time? How does selling on the way up fit into the deal closing process? Yeah, that's actually a really good question because think about when you're selling a company and when you're buying a company and when you're a bank, you're going to go through what is likely to be about a 90 day process. And so, you know, we sign the LOI or the asset purchase agreement, and we get started. And the first thing that happens Actually, two things happen simultaneously. The first thing that happens is you begin to do diligence. And the second is you begin to put the financing in play. And so in both cases, as a buyer, you're looking at certain gains that you're used to seeing from this company. And so remember, you're not putting a company under contract and two, three weeks later, you're closing. It's two or three months later, you're closing. And during that period of time, the company obviously is going to perform in a manner that is either better, the same, or worse than expected. And so during that period of time, if you're a buyer and you're watching the sales continue to grow at the same pace or at a faster pace, that's exciting. You're motivated. You're trying to hit the finish line. If you're a bank, it gives you the comfort of knowing you can write the check and you feel good about it. And the seller, even though sometimes they, that can be where the problem is, is because if they are growing faster than normal, oftentimes they say, well, I was supposed to get a certain multiple, but over the last few months, if you look at my trailing 12, I'm not getting that multiple I'm supposed to get. So that's sometimes where the problem comes in is, you know, the seller feels like he's outgrown the sales price that he agreed to. But if you think about it, you want that pace to continue through the process. And then of course you want it often in almost all the deals, there is a seller note. Very, very rare that there's not. And so if you think about the seller note, I mean, if you're the seller, you do want it to continue to grow as well because that's how you do get paid. Your seller note is that the company continues to perform and do well. Unsurprisingly, selling on the way up is something buyers do respond to. They want to buy companies that have a lot of potential for the future. The buyer's love the approach because see, there's various ways to structuring a deal. And I, I think it's important to understand that we as brokers have to employ both logic and experience. And where that comes is, you know, we know what the multiples are. We know what buyers feel comfortable with. We know what banks feel comfortable with. And in the end, you have to accommodate the bank first and foremost, because if the bank isn't comfortable with a deal, they're not going to lend. And so when a seller begins by saying, I want this much for my company, it has to make sense. You have to be able to service the debt that's going to come with it. And oftentimes, even on the bigger deals, as a matter of fact, most of the times on all deals, including the bigger deals, there is an element of financing. And so in the end, you know, you're, you're not only now making the profit on the company like the seller was, but you're paying a note. And so that, that company has to continue to grow. And so from a buyer's standpoint, 
they want to make sure that they have mitigated all risk in a company so that they can make the kind of money they expected to when they pulled the trigger on it. Because the worst thing for everybody is that a company underperforms. And if it underperforms, a bank may not get paid and a buyer may not end up making a living or being able to, you know, accommodate the investors that came in that expected more. And once again on this, I, I think it's so important to point out to a seller that in order to exit his company at an appropriate time, you need to sell on the way up. And once again, there is no crystal ball. So I think there's got to be a certain amount of intuition. And part of that intuition is going to come from intellect, you know, knowing that, okay, I'm watching my SKUs and how they're progressing. I'm watching my sales. And remember, growth is mainly measured from this January versus last January and this February versus last. So it's year over year, not month over month. If a company has month over month growth, which that's rare after maybe a year and a half, that's phenomenal. Then that company is going to be definitely a unicorn, much coveted. And, you know, the multiples will change dramatically from what the norms are in our industry. But once again, focus on you know, just knowing when the time comes that it's time for you to exit your business because that will get you the best return. Thanks to Ron for taking the time to talk to me today. Feel free to send us any questions you have about mergers and acquisitions. We'd be happy to explore the answers. Till next time, this has been Deal Closers.